Thanks for tuning in and watching this week's message. We don't want anybody to feel obligated to give just because they watch the message. But if you'd like to, we'd be most appreciative. We're a rather small group here in Colorado, but we seem to have a rather large online audience. And we'd love for you uh, to be a part of supporting it if, if you want to. You can do that by going to our website and pressing on the donate button. Thanks for watching. So Lord, we thank you that your steadfast love never ceases and your mercy never comes to an end. We confess that we have not believed that and we ask that we would believe that. We ask that you would help us to preach. Lord God, this first video is a, well, it's a little bit scary, but I pray you would help us to believe what it is that you would say. Amen. Hmm. Gee, it's, uh, it's very nice of you to give me a job helping you, Count. Uh, what would you like me to do? I want you to answer my telephone so I don't have to be bothered while I look for things to count. Answer the telephone, huh? Is that all? That's enough. It's not as easy as it seems. Not easy, huh? Well, listen, you can count on me, Count. Hmm. Now, what can I find to count? I must... Uh, one! One ring! That's a telephone. Uh, 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 I'll answer it. No, I must count them. Yeah, two! Two rings! I have to answer the phone there. No, no, I'm counting the rings. Three! Three rings! I'll get it! Oh, you tricky Ernie! Oh. Four! Four rings! Uh, but I have to answer no, the... I, five! Uh, no. Hello? Hello? Five glorious rings! Hello? 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 They hung up. Of course, you took so long to answer. But you wouldn't let me answer it. I told you, it wouldn't be easy. <sighs> ah, they're calling back. I'll one, get it. One ring. No, on, I'm counting. I'll get it, too. Two, two rings. Oh. Hello? I'll Three. get the phone. Oh, Just a minute. Coming. In a second. Hold on there. I'll get it. Well, hopefully you know that the count uh, loves to count. But he's so busy counting rings, he doesn't know why the phone is, is ringing. We love to count, I think, ever since we gained the knowledge of, of counting. We love it. So let's count. If you would, close your eyes. All right, just close your eyes wherever you are. Do as I say. I'm the pastor. Close your eyes. Take a deep, deep cleansing breath. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to count. Count the number of years that you've been alive. Do you have the number? Now count the number of years that you expect to be alive. Now count the dollars in your bank account. Now count the dollars that you owe to the bank. Now count the number of close friends that you possess. 
Now count the number of close friends that you used to possess that are now no longer your friends. Assign a value to each of the friends that you currently possess, and I want you to include spouses, uh, parents, siblings, children. Now calculate the sum total of those values. Add them together. Get, get, get that number. And now calculate, uh, assign a value to each of the friends with whom you are no longer friends and include uh, parents, children, spouses, uh, relatives. Uh, calculate the sum total of those values. Now, uh, take the second sum and subtract it from the first sum, equaling your relationship uh, quotient. Is that number a positive number or is that number a negative number? And now take that number and compare it with the supposed numbers of the people next to you and their supposed relationship quotient, okay? Now, now that's just a, a sample of the things that we can count. Sometimes I'll wake up at two in the morning uh, counting, and, 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 and I'll just keep counting, 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 counting for, for hours. Okay, now open your eyes. And how did that feel? Did it make you happy? Peaceful? Secure? No. Or maybe insecure and stressed out. Well, now let me ask you this question. When you start counting and you feel stressed out, what do you uh, do um, uh, with that feeling? How do you handle the stress? Well, if you're me, you count. You keep counting. You, you count even, even more, more counting, which has made me wonder. You know, I'm stressed about counting, and then I count to militate against the counting. I mean, maybe I'm addicted to counting. Maybe you're addicted to counting. Maybe we have some kind of, like, mental illness. Out of curiosity, does he have any special abilities? I, I mean, he's got a pretty good memory. He can uh, count toothpicks. Huh? Toothpicks. They spilled a box of toothpicks on the floor, and uh, he took one look at them and knew exactly how many there were, and he counted them in seconds. Huh. Right. Right, man? Yeah. Are you good with numbers? Yeah. I read about this. I'm going to try something here. Kmart 400 Oak Street. What did I tell you after this? Right? After this. Right. Can we try something? Yeah. Do you know how much 312 times... 123 is? 38376. He's right. What? He's right. He's right? Yeah. Ray. How much is 4,343 times 1,243? 535926. He's a genius. He's right. He's a genius. Ray. Do you know how much the square root of 2,1143 That's amazing. I mean, that is amazing. He should work for NASA or something like that. If you had a dollar and you spent 50 cents, how much money would you have left? About 70. 70 cents? 70 cents. So much for the NASA idea. Kmart. Go, go to Kmart. Right. After Four, this. 400 Oak Street. Right, do you know how much a candy bar costs? About a hundred dollars. hundred dollars, huh? Yeah. You know how much one of those new compact cars costs? About a hundred dollars. 
In his particular case, he's pretty well off. He's very high functioning. Most autistics, they can't speak and they can't communicate. Ray. Yeah. Do you know what autistic is? Yeah. You know that word? Yeah. Are you autistic? I don't think so. No. Definitely not. That's the amazing movie, Rain Man. It won four Academy Awards and the best picture of 1988. Tom Cruise plays Charlie Babbitt, uh, and Dustin Hoffman plays Raymond Babbitt. Raymond has this incredible ability to acquire knowledge, but he doesn't know what any of the knowledge means. He has knowledge, but like no wisdom, and so he constantly counts. As his aide at the institution explains, counting and calculating is how he attempts to gain a sense of security. That and the fact that Raymond won't let anyone touch him. Charlie Babbitt is his brother. Charlie basically steals Raymond from the mental institution because their father just died leaving three million dollars in a, in, a, in, a, in a trust fund for, for Raymond and none of the three million dollars for Charlie. Until their, father, until their father died, Charlie didn't even know that he had a brother. The closest thing he had to a brother was this imaginary childhood friend that he called the Rain Man that used to sing to him as a, a, a little boy. Well, like I said, he takes Raymond from the mental institution hoping to extort $1.5 million from the mental institution. And so it's not just Raymond Babbitt that loves to count. Even more, it's... Charlie Babbitt that loves to count, and he's counting the value of Raymond. At the start of the movie, the doctor at the institution says to Charlie, Charlie, I understand. I think you feel that you've been cheated out of your birthright. Well, Raymond loves to count. Charlie loves to count. I think we all love to count, and, and maybe we all feel like we've been cheated out of our birthright, and maybe we're all just a little bit mentally ill. Maybe we're a lot like King David. You know, there's this absolutely amazing story in the Old Testament that's told in two different places, in 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles, that's absolutely pivotal, and yet I've never heard a pastor preach on it, except I, did, I took a shot at it once 10 years ago, and I've been thinking about it ever since. We all struggle to understand it. It's hard for the mentally ill to recognize the mentally ill, and maybe we're all just a little mentally ill, okay? First Chronicles 21.1, listen closely. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. This is one of three places in the Old Testament where Satan is, is mentioned by name, and this is the very first place in the Bible, all the Bible, that his name shows up. In Genesis chapter 3, it describes Satan, uh, but he's named right here. In Genesis 3, Satan tempts humanity to take knowledge of the good from a tree, and now he tempts David to count the good. Do you, get, do you get that, though? He tempts David. He, 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 he doesn't tempt David with murder. It doesn't say he tempts David with murder or adultery or cigarettes and beer. He tempts David to count. 
he incites David to number Israel. Even weirder, in 2 Samuel 24, Scripture says that it was God who incited David to count and that he did it because he was mad at Israel, which would include David. It's like something was wrong with David and Israel, so God gets Satan to tempt David to sin, which exposes that thing that was wrong with David and Israel. In the same way, something was wrong with Adam. Did you know that? So God put that tree in the middle of the garden and allowed a talking snake to have a conversation with Eve. The snake tempted her to count. I mean, isn't that the reason that we all want knowledge of the good? So we can quantify and qualify the good? So that we can count our good and justify ourselves. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the army, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring me a report that I may know their number. But Joab said, May the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. Are they not, my lord the king, all of them my lord's servants? Why then should my lord require this? Why should it be a cause of guilt for Israel? But the king's word prevailed against Joab. So Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came back to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people to David. In all Israel there were 1,100,000 men who drew the sword, and in Judah 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering. For the king's command was abhorrent to Joab. But God was displeased with this thing, and he struck Israel. <laughs> yeah, isn't that a crazy weird story? Seriously? As we'll soon see, 70,000 people died because David tried to count. <sighs> so is there something wrong with counting? In Exodus, God commands Moses to count. That's why we have a book in the Old Testament titled Numbers. So God commands people to count, but you know, he's awfully ambivalent about counting. And he seems to have a rather different reason for counting. So why do we count? I mean, why do you count? 207 Facebook friends, 67 likes, three 30-minute 30, 30 devotionals in just seven days. That's, that's pretty good, right? That, that ought to count. Don't we count in the hope that we would count? We count in order to keep score. And we keep score in order to count so we can win. We hope to win some sort of, 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 of approval. Just look, Lord, I beat my neighbor. I count. We count in the hope that we would count. And what is it that we count? Well, we're Americans, right? So we count things that we possess. We count things and we count people and how much each of those people count. We count the ones that count, and we try to make ourselves count by counting our good and comparing it to another's good. Look, Lord, I beat my neighbor. 
at loving my neighbor. So I count. I count. David is counting men who draw the sword. When you count people, you quantify people. And when you decide how much they count, you qualify people. When you number people, you turn people into things and use them to make yourself count. We count people, and, and we don't know what they mean. David counts the men of Israel, and God gets furious. And, and yet, God tells Moses to count the men of Israel, and the book of Numbers is a record of the count. And yet, God had already told Moses that atonement would be required for the count. This is so weird. Listen to this. Exodus 30, verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, when you take the census of the people, and he's going to command them to do this, the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less. The same amount when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. It's like the Lord is saying the counting is necessary, but atonement must be paid for all this accounting. Counting will cost you your life, and so a ransom must be paid to atone for your life. The same ransom for each and every human life. Like I said, the Lord is just like weirdly ambivalent about counting, and when he counts, he counts in really just the strangest of ways. I mean, it's like he, he counts down, and then he asks us to count things that really cannot be counted. Think about Gideon. He, he has Gideon count down to 300 men and then defeat a multitude with fire in jars of clay. Or think about Jesus. He asked his disciples to count at certain times, right? Like he asked them to count. How many fish and loaves do you got? Five loaves and, and two fish. And then he uses five loaves and two fish to feed a multitude. The whole Bible is like a countdown to Jesus. I mean, all of history is like a countdown to Jesus. Your life is like a countdown to Jesus. Genesis 15, 5, the word of the Lord the word of the Lord comes to Abraham. This is wild. The word of the Lord like walks around and talks. The word of the Lord comes to Abraham, and, and then we read this. And the word of the Lord brought Abraham outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them, Abraham. Of course, he can't. And then he said to him, so shall your seed, singular, be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Do you see, history is literally a countdown to one seed. And in that seed is something far greater than any person could ever count. It's the birthright. So God says to Abraham, the blessing is greater than any man could count. And Abraham believes the word of the Lord and is counted to him as righteousness. It seems that King David does not believe the word of the Lord. And so he says to Joab, Joab, go count. But God was displeased with this thing, verse 7, and he struck Israel. 
And David said to God, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this thing. But now please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. In other words, ransom me from my sin. Make atonement for me. And the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, go and say to David, thus says the Lord, Three things I offer you, David. Choose one of them that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, choose what you will, either three years of famine or three months of devastation by your foes while the sword of your enemies overtakes you, or three days of the sword of the Lord, pestilence on the land, with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is very great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. Well, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because David thinks that God's mercy is greater than the mercy of man. Most Christians I know think just the opposite, <laughs> that man's mercy is far greater than God, for God tortures people endlessly. Well, anyway, the Lord's mercy is very great, says David. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It endures forever. His, his mercy, his hesed, that's the most repeated line in all of Scripture and is first uttered by King David. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. This is Lamentations 3. We sang it. His mercies never come to an end. They never come to an end. That means they cannot be counted. That means God's mercy is infinite. It never comes to an end because it is the end of all things. And yet, that does not mean that we will not experience pain on this journey through time. Next verse. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel. That was, that was David's choice, remember? The sword of the Lord. And 70,000 men of Israel fell, and God sent the angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw, and he relented from the calamity. And he said to the angel who was working destruction, it is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, and in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell upon their faces. And David said to God, Was it not I who gave the command to number the people? It is I who have sinned and done great evil. But these sheep, these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand, O Lord my God, be against me and against my father's house but do not let the plague be on your people. You know, David is called the man after God's own heart. And I think this is why. David says, let me suffer in their place. Let me lay down my life for the sheep. He says, let your hand be against me and my father's house. That's David's house. In other words, let your hand be against me and my seed. Who's the seed of David, class? Jesus. Yeah, is that wild? Okay, another question. Who's the hand of the Lord? Who's his strong arm in, in the, the book of, of Isaiah? Who's that? 
Okay, it's like a children's sermon, so you probably get this right. It's the Messiah whose name is Jesus. Who's the angel of Yahweh? We talked about this last time, remember? The angel of Yahweh, the word of the Lord, that's the God-man. Who's that? That's Jesus. And who is the sword of the Lord? Well, that's the word of the Lord, right? Living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, the sword of the Spirit, the, the word of the Lord, the judgment of God. That's Jesus. And who is the bride of Jesus? Yeah. Us, and we are called the church, and the church is the new Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Remember John sees uh, Jerusalem coming down, adorned as a bride for her husband. David sees the angel of the Lord standing over Jerusalem with a drawn sword, and he says, let your hand be against me and my seed. Wow. Let us sacrifice for the people. Next verse. Now, the angel of the Lord had commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. The Jebusites were Canaanites. That's just kind of freaky weird. So David went up at Gad's word, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now, Ornan was threshing wheat. That should sound familiar. He turned and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. They hid themselves. As David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out from the threshing floor and paid homage to David with his face to the ground. And David said to Ornan, give me the site of the threshing floor that I may build on it an altar to the Lord. Give it to me at its full price that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Ornan said to David, take it and let my lord the king do what seems good to him. See, I give the oxen for burnt offerings, the threshing sledges for the wood, and the wheat for a grain offering. I give it all. But David said to Ornan, no, but I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David paid Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site, and David built there an altar to the Lord and presented burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord, and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven upon the altar of burnt offering. Then the Lord commanded the angel, and he put his sword back into its sheath. At that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him at the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, he sacrificed there. Notice he didn't stop sacrificing. He started sacrificing. To sacrifice is to give your life for another. When ancient people ate meat, it was almost always a sacrifice. That means they ate the meat and they thanked a god. They acknowledged that a life was sacrificed for them, and they would thank some deity for that life that was given that they might, they might live. The Bible isn't against sacrifice. It's against sacrifice of the wrong deity and for the wrong reason. Americans get so offended by sacrifice, and yet we eat meat every day and never give thanks. We must think that we own the life because we purchased the life with a finite amount of money at some grocery store where it came butchered and wrapped in cellophane and no longer looked at all like a, a cow or a lamb that was slain in order that you might live 
At that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him at the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, he sacrificed there. For the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses had made in the wilderness, and the altar of burnt offering were at that time in the high place at Gibeon. But David could not before, go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Then David said, Here shall be the house of the Lord God, and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. And then the rest of the chapter, David commands his son Solomon to build the temple on that spot. So this is the point. In the place where David was tempted by Satan to count, in that place God commands the son of David to build a temple. So, what is that place, and who is the son of David? And now this is where the proverbial rabbit hole gets infinitely deep, and I think infinitely wonderful. So don't think that you can comprehend this. <laughs> but do your best to observe this and let God comprehend you. What is that place? This is a picture of, uh, that, that I took of that place 10 years ago. This is the location of the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Our guide told us that under the threshing floor, archaeologists had found a wine press. Now, I don't know if that's true, but this is definitely a place for the making of bread and wine. For somewhere on this mount, Jesus took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body which is given to you. And he took wine, saying, this, this cup, this is the blood of, this is the, blood of, the, of the covenant given uh, to you. Drink of it, all of you. Somewhere on the other side of this threshing floor, Jesus hung on a tree in a garden and cried, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As a stream of blood began to trickle down the tree. And somewhere on this mount, the Lamb of God was sacrificed the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And somewhere on this mount, Abraham prepared a, a, a sacrifice, a sacrifice of his only begotten son by his wife Sarah. But the angel of the Lord stopped his hand and provided a ram. A ram is a full-grown lamb. And, 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 and somewhere on this mount, actually on the foundation stone, which became the foundation of the inner sanctuary in the temple, on that stone, according to many, God made Adam and maybe still does. Orthodox Jews believe that this is not only the site of the temple and the site of Mount Moriah, they also believe that this is the site of, of Eden. So it was on this site that Satan tempted Eve and the first Adam. Satan tempted Eve and the first Adam to take knowledge of the good from a tree in the middle of a garden. We know that God is love, and love is the good, and so the good in flesh is Jesus. And so it was on this site that humanity took the life of the good from a tree in a garden, and everything died. 
Well, God sent Eve and Adam, humanity, from the garden, and he placed two cherubim and a flaming sword at the entrance to guard the way to the tree of life. If this wasn't the physical site of Eden, we know that it's definitely the spiritual site of Eden, for on this spot David housed uh, the ark, at first in the tabernacle and then in the temple that Solomon built. The top of the ark was called the mercy seat or the place of atonement. The presence of the Lord would abide on top of that, that seat, and on that seat the high priest would sprinkle the blood of sacrifice. The mercy seat was guarded by two cherubim, just like the two cherubim that guarded the way to the tree of life. Two cherubim and this outrageous, crazy, flaming sword the flaming sword. That's why David was terrified to approach the tabernacle for guidance, for fear of the sword of the angel of the Lord, or maybe the sword that is the angel of the Lord. The sword is also a knife, a, a knife held by the high priest that slaughters the sacrifice, whose blood is sprinkled on the mercy seat, which is the resting spot of the pillar of fire, which is the presence of the Lord uh, between the two cherubim and behind the veil, the curtain, the, the veil. The book of Hebrews tells us that the veil divides this age from the age to come. This ion in Greek from the Ionios, the God's age, also translated e eternity, God's age or eternal. In other words, the, the temple was like a theater for the revelation of mercy. And the mercy is eternal. It never comes to an end, for it is the end and the beginning. When Jesus gave up his life on the cross, that veil, that curtain separating time from eternity, it ripped from the top to the bottom. In the Revelation, John looks and he sees a slaughtered lamb standing on the mercy seat, which is the throne of God. All creation worships the lamb as from the lamb flows a river. Uh, from the throne, a river. It's a river of life, and the life is in the blood, and the life is eternal. It's infinite. And one last thing about the site of this temple. Jesus says that it is now located in your heart. Infinity in a finite earthen vessel that we call you. Crazy. <laughs> when I was a freshman at the University of Colorado, I took a math class that kind of changed everything because it introduced a, a character into all the calculations uh, that changed everything. The, the, the class was called Calculus. Maybe you took it. And when you took it, I bet it felt like kind of an entirely new world. For in calculus, they introduce, calculus, they introduce this radical new concept into every occasion. Uh, this is the symbol for the number, or perhaps the anti-number, that we refer to as infinity. Uh, infinity is that number for which there is no end. It represents a number for which there is no end. So, so let's, have a, let's have a pop quiz, okay? If you take the number one 
and you add it to infinity, what do you get? Right! Infinity! You get infinity. If you take infinity and you subtract the number one, what do you get? Infinity! Correct! In fact, if you take any finite number and you add it to infinity, what do you get? Infinity! If you take infinity and you subtract any finite number, what do you get? You get ah, infinity. That's infinity. In the book of Numbers, Moses counts 603,550 men ready for war. In Numbers chapter 13, spies are sent into the promised land. Do you remember this? Ten of them come back and say, we can't go in there because there's too many and they're too big. But two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, say, yeah, but, 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 but God is with us. In other words, 603,550 men plus infinity, <laughs> well, that's that's infinity. That's infinity, and nothing is larger than infinity. You remember the angel of the Lord says to Gideon, threshing wheat in a wine press in fear. He says, but Gideon, I will be with you. Gideon raises an army of 32,000 32, soldiers. 32,000 plus infinity is infinity. Gideon's still scared. So God subtracts 31,700 troops from infinity, which equals what, class? Infinity. Yeah, you're getting it. So, 300 plus infinity is infinity. Yeah, exactly the same as 32,000 plus uh, infinity. David counts, and what does David's count add to infinity? Yeah, basically nothing. So, if David is still counting, it shows that he does not believe that God's strength is infinite or that God's love for David is infinite. Now, let's say that you take knowledge of good from the tree. In order, to, in order to qualify the good, quantify the good, and, and qualify the good uh, so that you can count your good and so justify yourself. Let's say that you do that and, and you begin to discover that you are just like butt dust and ashes. And yet, God dies for you and gives Himself to you, His very life to you. Well, butt dust and ashes plus infinity is what? Infinity! You are precisely worth Infinity. You are worth the blood of the Lamb. Infinity. And you contain the blood of the Lamb. You know, if you believed that, I think you'd stop counting and quantifying and qualifying and comparing and competing and taking life. I think you'd stop taking life and start living life. I think you'd stop sinning and start loving, giving and receiving all things with joy. You know, one day the Lord will take away everything 
finite. He will take away everything finite so you will get a good look at what is infinite, what is infinite. And then he'll give it all back to you, the finite filled with the infinite. You will die and rise again. And you can begin to do that right now. You can lose your life, your psyche, your ego, and, and find it. You know, it's your ego that's addicted to counting. Well, like I said at the start of the sermon, God has a problem with the way that we count because we do not include infinity. And God has a problem with what we count because, you know, infinity really cannot be counted. Albert Einstein had a plaque on the wall in his office at Princeton, and this is how it read. Not everything that counts can be counted, and not everything that can be counted counts. That's, that's good to remember. Did you know that in the garden, the Adam, that is humanity, was alone? Alone in the presence of God. That's wrong. That's what Scripture says. And it says that God called it not good. And so Satan tempted humanity to take knowledge of the good from the tree in the middle of the garden. Satan tempted humanity to take knowledge of the good, quantify the good, qualify the good. You know, like nail the good down, if you will. Quantify it, qualify it, and try to apply the good in the hopes of making ourselves good in the image of God. And you see, the good is God. Uh, God is love, and love in flesh, which is God in flesh, is, is Jesus, and Jesus is the life, and the life is in the blood. When your ego counts, you are attempting to take the life, Christ's life. But go to the cross, and you'll see that Christ has forgiven his life from the foundation of the world. When your ego counts, you attempt to take the love that is God, which is life. But go to the temple and you'll see a slaughtered lamb standing on the throne, and from the throne flows an infinite river of eternal life, the life of love. And God is love. It never stops. It's just that you've been unable to, to, to see the truth or hear what he means because you've been counting. And you see, a river, an infinite river of eternal life cannot be counted. It can't be quantified, qualified, and possessed by you. You see, the problem with the count is that he loves to count. And he doesn't care about what or who he's counting. The problem with the count is that he loves to count and he's a vampire. He's a vampire. That's bad to be, to be a vampire. A vampire drinks the life of the living but does not live. He's the walking dead. A sinner consumes love but does not love. 
He or she is the walking dead. A sinner thinks that the good is a limited commodity, some little commodity that, that he or she must possess. He doesn't understand that the good must possess him. Like the ocean possesses a little fish or a mighty river possesses a canoe and washes it downstream. You know, the Amazon is the largest river in the world. Its mouth is 90 miles wide. Its current can be detected 200 miles out to sea. I've read in, in, a, in a few places of how ships used to cross the ocean coming from Africa or Europe, and they would be caught. They would get caught in the, in the still waters of the southern Atlantic. On board those ships, soldiers or sailors would, would ration their water. You know, they would hoard the water to them, themselves in little containers as they slowly died of, of thirst. Sometimes other ships coming from South America would encounter these ships full of the walking dead. When signaled for help, they would come alongside and they would call out, what's the problem? And they'd receive this answer, can you spare some water? We're dying of thirst. And then they would call back to those dying sailors, let down your buckets. You are in the mouth of the mighty Amazon. <laughs> Did you know that mercy is not a small thing. It's a mighty river that flows from the throne of God and constantly surrounds you and upholds all things. There is no shortage of divine mercy. The great danger is that you might think there is. The great danger is that you might Listen to a liar and begin to think that mercy is a rare commodity, and so keep it in your own cup and never let down your bucket into the ocean of God's grace. Mercy is not small. Grace is not small. Salvation is not small. For God is not small. And in Him we live and move and have our being right, St. Paul. God is all around you, and he is even in you. In that day, said Jesus to his disciples, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I am in you. In that day, and that day can be this day, if you stop counting and sit and watch in the temple. The point, this is the point. The point is when you're tempted to count, build a temple and watch God count. And in the place sin increased, you will see grace abound all the more. So, so see, see if you, this, this, is, this is what we just observed. David was trusting himself, and so David was alone. And so David was tempted to count, and David did count. And God let David know the pain it caused when he would count. God let David taste the pain of sacrifice. Then David could begin to know the depths of God's sacrifice, and he could begin to see that it was God who constantly gave his life 
to David. And so David began to give that life back to God. He began to freely sacrifice. Then David came to know the joy, the joy of God's sacrifice. You see, when one person sacrifices, it looks like a cross, and it feels like pain. When every person sacrifices, it is the kingdom of God and the body of Christ. It's a river, a river of infinite life, eternal life, flowing through many earthen vessels, blood vessels. It's a body dancing in ecstasy. It's life. Sacrifice is love, and mutual love is life. Eternal life and endless love is your birthright. And that's what's so great about the movie Rain Man. Charlie Babbitt tries to take his birthright from Raymond Babbitt. He thinks his birthright is $1.5 million. But on the journey, he discovers that his birthright is actually Raymond. In fact, all of his life, he longed for an imaginary friend that he remembered as the Rain Man. And that turns out to be Raymond. Raymond is the Rain Man who used to sing to Charlie when Charlie was just like a little child before he ever learned to even count. And all his life, Raymond had been suffering. For when he was 18, he was separated from his little brother, Charlie, supposedly for, for the safety and the sake of Charlie, separated and placed in an institution. Charlie is Raymond's main man. Did you know that Jesus is your big brother? And Jesus is your birthright? He is love in flesh. He is life, and he's your birthright. Remember Jacob who became Israel? He basically stole his birthright from his big brother. But, 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 but read the story closely, and, and I think you'll see that his big brother, the firstborn, is his birthright. The firstborn, Jesus the Christ, who took your suffering upon himself. Uh, the firstborn, Jesus the Christ, and all things with him is your birthright. So David counted, and God demanded atonement for the counting, and David encountered the angel of Yahweh, who is the word of God, judgment of God, sword of God, fire of God, high priest of God. He's the seed of, of, of David, and the, the root of David, the foundation of David. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the lamb of God who has given absolutely everything for you and to you. When you begin to count because you're afraid that you don't count, stop counting. 
and be encountered. Stop counting and see, watch, hear, listen, look at how much you count to God. Stop counting and build the temple, or better yet, be the temple that is built by Jesus. He is the Son of David and Son of God. And that's why we call ourselves the sanctuary. Not because we gather to count good deeds that we have done, but we gather to observe the good that God is and that He has always done. And so the angel of the Lord, the Word of God, the strong arm of Jehovah, the high priest of the eternal temple, the Lamb of God, the judgment of God, our big brother Jesus met us at the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And he took bread, breaking it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take, eat. And he took the cup, saying, this cup is the covenant, the eternal covenant. It's called the eternal covenant. He said, this cup is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Look. Now close your eyes. Take a deep cleansing breath. And listen to what the Lord is saying to you. I bet it's something like this. This is the ransom that I give and have always given in exchange for you. This is what you are worth to me and have always been worth to me. You cannot add to this and you cannot subtract from this. This is my life, eternal, infinite, and you are worth my life. And my life is who you truly are. Right now, I am the breath in the dust that you think is you. I am in my Father, and my Father is in me, and I am in you. This has already happened. From the foundation of the world, this has happened. And you can't change it. <laughs> you can't stop it. You can't subtract from it. You can't add to it. This is your heavenly Father's opinion of you. 
So when you find yourself counting because you think maybe you don't count, stop counting and be the temple that you are. Pull back the curtain and look at the truth, eternity. This is how you count to God. If you know that you are infinitely and eternally loved, well, then go ahead and count. Doesn't matter. You can go ahead and count. <laughs> the flesh counts to exalt itself and is humbled. The spirit counts to humble itself and it is exalted to the very throne of God. In other words, believe the gospel, okay? Amen. Hey, if you'd like prayer, members of the prayer team are down front. They would love to pray with you. Hope you come next week. Um, I'm really excited. We're going to be, I'm going to be interviewing, talking with uh, Mike Owens, who has an amazing story that I think, you'd, I think you'd love to hear. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week.